Uh, I'm Sherry Falkenheimer, and uh, I have three other colleagues that have all been involved in medical education overseas in different ways. There aren't a lot of sessions on this at our conference this year, so we're going to try to pack a lot into a short time. Uh, this is the objectives that were originally sent in. We wanted to talk about opportunities in education that will increase local health care capacity, help you know about some organizations that take volunteers or need people longer term, talk about some countries or universities where you can teach, and uh, give examples of all of those. I'll introduce each of my colleagues as we go. And these will be our topics. Uh, first, Dr. Jim Smith will talk about teaching at Christian medical schools and doing faculty development. Jim's an emeritus professor of ENT from Oregon Health Sciences University. And uh, he leads uh, more of our volunteer teaching teams with the Educational Short-Term Ministry of CMDA than anybody else still. Uh, and he's uh, got probably as broad an experience as anybody I know as far as the number of countries and different things he's done, not only with uh, Medical Education International and PACS, Pan-African Academy of Christian Surgeons, but with uh, solar-powered hearing aids and all kinds of things. So he'll talk about that. Uh, then Dr. David Larson, who also has uh, over 40 years in medical education, is going to talk about uh, how to uh, set up an and conduct residency training, which we've been asked, a number of us have been asked to teach in quite a few countries now. You may know many countries of the world don't have residencies. Uh, they train people after med school by uh, often arranging to follow somebody around for a while and, you know, see what they know how to do. So you may think you're an ENT, but you can only do tonsillectomies and PE tubes or something like that. So a lot of countries are realizing they need to have a more organized training program, and Dave will talk about that. Uh, Bruce, who's the executive or the uh, medical director of Pan-African uh, Academy of Christian Surgeons, has a lot of experience setting up surgical residencies, uh, primarily in Africa, but he's also going to talk about other types of residencies overseas that need teachers. And then I'll close, uh, just summarize a little and talk about some opportunities in overseas medical schools where you can even teach in English and some new opportunities that are opening up as the world is changing. So I'll start with Jim. And we're going to try to speak briefly so you can ask your questions since we don't have too many sessions on it, so think about things you'd like to know more about or opportunities you're interested in. Thanks for bearing with us technologically challenged baby boomers. <laughs> I'm beyond a baby boomer. <laughs> you don't have to tell him that. Yes, Jim just had his 80th birthday on Sunday, so congratulations. <laughs> I hope I'll be doing at 80 what he's doing. <laughs> okay. You're trying to get it back on? No, no, was it not on? No. Uh, no, just one second here. Maybe, maybe we'll, if it does it like it did for Sherry. Oh, okay. I think we're set. Okay. I hope that gets it. I'm going to turn this just a little bit here like that. There we go. We still connected? Okay. So I'm going to talk about some newer opportunities that we've had, particularly in MEI, uh, in the last three or four years. Uh, I really started doing this about 12, 15 years ago with MEI, and there really was not very much interest in residency training or medical student education, uh, either in secular or in missionary settings. And I think that has really changed significantly in the last uh, four or five years for sure. So I'm going to talk about some of the newer opportunities uh, that we've had. So one of the things is our newer Christian medical schools that... Uh, that really need a lot of help, particularly in Africa. There are a lot of new schools starting. They need help with faculty, uh, both basic science and clinical. 
And so a lot of times your friends who are in medical schools who are in basic science or research say, well, you know, there's no place for me on the mission field. Wrong. Uh, there are a lot of opportunities, and particularly these newer medical schools, who are desperate to find basic science teachers. The other big thing is curriculum development. A lot of these new medical schools, when they start up, need to develop a curriculum. And unfortunately, there aren't many of us, even myself in academic medicine, that we really had very much to do with developing curriculum for medical school, basic sciences, as well as the clinical areas. And so, but it's a very uh, important area. So particularly for any of those of you who are younger and looking for mission opportunities, I would encourage you to think about teaching as a career. And as you start to go through medical school, as you choose your residencies, as you choose your employment after residency, to think about getting into places where you will be doing teaching, because it certainly is a, a big area that can be used on the mission field. Uh, faculty development is another big area that, that needs help. The things that are taught in medical schools now to new faculty, I wished I'd had them when I started out. I mean, we finished our residency. We were expected to know how to give good talks to medical students and to residents, and it was just expected. You knew how to do that. But when I see what is available now for faculty development, things like how to prepare a good PowerPoint and things like that, uh, that we didn't have that are available. And certainly in a lot of these schools, uh, this is something that is very important. Now, I do have some concerns about some of these new medical schools. One is the number of proposed schools. I was recently in Kenya, and a friend of mine who was a Kenyan, I asked him about it. And he listed off seven new medical schools starting in Kenya uh, just within the last couple of years. And some of them are just getting going. I said, well, what do you think, uh, Stephen? I said, are there going to be uh, jobs for all these people that are being trained? He says, well, that's interesting you ask that because there are two major medical schools in Kenya. One is Kenyatta in Nairobi. The other is Moy in Eldoret. And he says, you know, we're having trouble finding jobs, paying jobs, for the people who are graduating through the two, from the two major schools, he says, I'm not quite sure what's going to happen with all these new graduates, where they're going to find employment. So it's something I think we need to think about. The number of students that are taken. I've been at some schools like in China, uh, Mongolia, where they take 500 to 700 students, new students a year and with probably less faculty than what we have in most of our medical schools. Uh, availability of faculty to teach basic sciences, that's one, and even clinical areas. That's another big area that is a need. Uh, I'm a bit concerned about the quality of training. If you don't have good teachers in clinical medicine or in basic sciences, what is going to be the quality? The other big pro uh, problem is that a lot of these new medical schools, both secular and Christian, unfortunately, they're going into it for profit. And uh, if you're doing medical education for profit, uh, I, I really worry about that. And then, again, the employment opportunities that we talked about. What about secular medical schools? In an MEI, we tend to uh, work more with secular organizations, uh, uh, although we do work with some of the Christian medical schools as well. Again, very important topics that we've been requested to do are faculty development, uh, medical education curriculum, uh, and, again, residency training. Particularly in China right now, there's a great deal of interest in residency training and how to set up residency programs, etc. Again, I have some concerns. As I already mentioned, some of these schools take, uh, well, I guess I can say I wasn't going to mention the country, but Mongolia has, is a country of 3 million people. They have a medical school that is government that takes around 500 new students every year plus about six private schools that take another three or 400 students. So they're graduating somewhere around seven or 800 students a year. They estimate that probably only about 10% of those people graduated from medical school can get a job in the healthcare field. So, I mean, are we training a bunch of people that are not going to be able to get jobs? Something is of concern. Again, as we mentioned, the number of faculty available, uh, teaching methods and curriculum, tend to be very much rote memory. Uh, a lot of this, uh, even the clinical areas, is just lectures. Very little hands-on. 
students don't get to touch patients, uh, don't get to look at patients, or they maybe make rounds with a professor and you've got 60 students making rounds. Well, if you're the student at the back of the row, you know, you hardly see the patient, let alone touch them. The other problem is going into some of these schools where we've been invited, younger faculty are really excited about some of the newer teaching methods that we use, small group teaching, etc. Older faculty, they're comfortable. They're making a very good salary, and they do not want to change. So that's another problem with these. And again, as I've mentioned before, the op uh, employment opportunities. Now, I did, I just put these slides in this morning for any of you, and I, I forget about that, that in this, uh, particularly in this, uh, uh, in the, in this whole mission group, there are a lot of people who are not in medicine per se, or physicians. There are a lot of, uh, opportunities for like nurse educators. Uh, we get, uh, requests in MEI frequently for people who will teach in a nursing school. Uh, things like village health workers. We had somebody at one of our sessions in the pre-conference yesterday who does community health teaching. Uh, there's opportunities for there. Uh, there's a large group in Portland, uh, Medical Teams International, that actually has a booth here. They do training in emergency medical technicians and first responders. Uh, and then there are other paramedical fields. I've been involved in the last four or five years with taking teams on pediatric disabilities, and particularly on autism. Huge interest, in, particularly in Central Asia, on autism. And so when you talk about autism, you're talking about using people who are audiologists, speech therapists, physical therapists, occupational therapists. There's opportunities for all of these. And then, particularly with the disability team, we don't think about this in medicine, but one of the most important people on the team for when we talk about autism is the special needs teachers. And they're probably one of the most sought-after people on the, uh, on the team. So, some new opportunities. Now, uh, I, I apologize for the way this is put together, but we were just invited to this uh, new, uh, well, actually, it's, a, it's an older hospital, but they're just starting residency programs in China. And uh, when we arrived, we were just going to be there for a day and a half, sort of scouting out to see whether this is an opportunity that we want to take up uh, in the future. And so they said, oh, look up there. So we were at the front of the hospital is this running neon sign. And that's the reason I have to do several different things. So it says, warmly welcome experts from American Christian College of Physicians International Education Division to guide the work of, does uh, anybody speak Mandarin here? I'm going to pronounce this wrong. Uh, Kijing uh, Second Hospital, People's Hospital. This is in the front of the hospital with Christian in it. And uh, so the next day, uh, we met, as, or as we were leaving, we met with this gentleman who really wanted to make sure, running out of a red light, uh, who, want, who wanted us to make sure we came back. Uh, and he is the top communist leader in that hospital. And what was really interesting was that this young lady down here, who actually went to medical school in China, but is now in the U.S. and was our translator, she was the one that got this opportunity when she was there in April. And she had, he asked, they found out what we were doing in Kuming, which was near there. So he asked her if they could come to our hospital and bring a team to their hospital. She said, well, she says, I'll have to talk to Uncle Jim, that's me, uh, because he's in charge. But he's not really in charge either. God's in charge. And this guy, I bet four or five times while we were there, mentioned how Jenny's God was the one that brought us there. This is in a communist hospital in China, which is usually people are afraid to say where they're going. So, uh, But other places that we've had recent requests, uh, Jordan for helping with the medical school, doing some faculty development there. Uh, Fiji, uh, Mongolia was more in residency training. There are a lot of opportunities in China, like the one I just mentioned. And uh, I have a friend from Uzbekistan who wants us to go to the medical school there. So there are a lot of opportunities uh, with this. So here are some of the considerations. I think we have to be careful to make sure that we're meeting what our hosts need. I think one of the problems that we tend to do as Americans, I'm guilty as anybody else, is that we think we know what they need, but we forget to ask them what they want or what they need. And sometimes 
uh, it's kind of a delicate balance between what is practical, what they think they need, whether it's practical or not. But I think we do need to ask them and to listen to them. I think we need to be culturally sensitivity. And then I think we also have to decide there are so many opportunities. Who do we help? Uh, and I think we need to look for opportunities where we have viable places that are going to uh, succeed and to help them go along. One of the things that we found in MEI that's particularly important is to partner particularly with missionaries who are in the area, who are there full-time. It makes our teams much more successful. We actually come in, do relatively little, but we do help their credibility. And so those are one of the other things that we look for as opportunities. So what are the rewards? I think we have opportunities to show grace, to show the love of Christ. A lot of times students and faculty will ask you why you were there, and you'll have an opportunity to share. Uh, I think the other thing is that we have an opportunity to influence the next generation of physicians, and both in medical knowledge and just in a caring attitude that we do when we take care of our patients. A lot of countries, I can tell you, uh, caring for the patient is kind of low priority, and so that we can model that type of thing. And the other thing you might not think about is modeling teaching as a worthwhile career. When I first went to Singapore, one of my residents asked me, he said, Prof, why do you do this? And I said, well, I enjoy teaching. And he was Chinese, and I said, but I said, Roland, I thought that the Chinese revered teachers. He said, well, that's true. He said, but... He says, if you have to choose between being revered and making money, you choose money every time. And so that was kind of his attitude that teaching really wasn't worthwhile. So I think we have an opportunity to, to model that. And then what should be our motive? I think it's to show the love of Christ. And I do like this verse in 1 Peter 3.15. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. And I think doing it with respect is one of the things that we need to keep in mind at all times. Thank you. Thank you, Jim. Uh, just in case you're new and uh, or you haven't heard of MEI, that is a short-term mission arm of Christian Medical and Dental Association that takes uh, short-term teams to mainly Muslim, Buddhist, and ex-communist <coughs> countries, but also some others. Um, so now Dr. David Larson. Thank you, Sherry. <clears throat> well, thank you for an opportunity to, to share with you. I, I don't have the experience that Jim does. Uh, in fact, he is my mentor. I have been in graduate medical education uh, and academic medicine for the last 40 years, 35 of which uh, were uh, in, uh, in academics. The last three years I retired, and that's the, real, that's the time when I really became interested in uh, missions. And, uh, and it was all through CMDA, although I'd been a member for many, many years. Uh, I've been to, uh, it started in uh, Kunming in China with Jim three years ago, and then we were in Beirut, <coughs> Lebanon, and the last two years I've been back to Macedonia four times over the last uh, uh, two years. And it, in each of these situations, I have been involved with uh, medical education. And, of course, that's what MEI is about. And I think it's, it's, uh, this is an important uh, aspect. When you think about being a missionary as a physician, you think about treating patients. But the truth of the matter is, uh, if you can teach them how to, how to uh, teach and establish residencies, in a sense, then you're really teaching them how to fish as opposed to just giving them a fish, and you're going to have a greater influence. That being said, it's, it's uh, a lot more difficult than seeing patients and, and just uh, giving a few lectures when you go over on a short-term mission. I've been asked to speak uh, by Sherry about uh, the, uh, the minimum needs to establish a surgery residency. And I think one of the things to remember is this is not about tent making or being an apprentice uh, or having an apprenticeship uh, where you're just training someone to be just like you. 
this is establishing a formal residency which uh, will take various forms depending upon the structure and the, and the country in which it uh, takes place. Regardless, for a surgery residency, there's a lot more infrastructure that has to uh, be set up, but, uh, but uh, these, some of these things can also apply to residencies um, all, regardless of what the specialty is. In surgery, you need uh, at least uh, uh, two or three full-time surgeons who are ready to make a commitment of two to three, of uh, three to five years, just to be there, just to just to get uh, uh, things uh, going. Obviously, you need pathology and anesthesia services. You need a mission statement outlining the purpose and the goals of the training. You need to identify who's going to be trained and uh, for how long and the purpose uh, for which you're training them, where you expect them to work. Like Jim says, a lot of these countries have uh, many, many medical school graduates who have secretarial positions, and they, they don't even practice medicine because they have to wait for years to get a residency. It's, uh, it's so, so much different uh, than uh, the way it is in the United States. Uh, you have to have a plan for the education, uh, a curriculum. Now, all of you have been students. We've all, many of you are residents. Everybody's done a residency, and you know what a curriculum is. That's an unknown entity in, uh, in many countries, uh, even in, in China and, uh, and uh, Macedonia. Uh, Beirut's a little different. They're a little more sophisticated. Uh, <clears throat> obviously, you have to have a hospital with, op with operating rooms and a clinic and, and that sort of thing. Uh, not the, and then you have to have housing for the faculty, for the visiting faculty that are coming over on short-term mission to teach uh, specialty uh, work. And then you have to obviously have housing for the residents. So all of these things are part of of establishing a, a residency in, in, in general surgery. Uh, I think uh, the other aspect of this is that uh, that the purpose in, in training, in going over there to train and to teach about how to teach is uh, not to really establish the uh, U.S. system in that given country but to seek some universally accepted standards that can be applied at almost no cost to any training situation. And I've listed these, and I think it's something to keep in mind. Uh, you can write a curriculum. Uh, even in an apprenticeship situation, you can write a curriculum. Uh, you know, what, what are the expectations, the goals and objectives? That sounds familiar to many of you residents. The goals and objectives of a given rotation for a given year. Uh, you want to establish a learning environment, what's called an environment of inquiry, and you do that by having regular conferences, bedside uh, rounds, journal club, uh, M&M conference, didactic lectures, a schedule for the didactic lectures. Who's going to give them? Faculty and the residents. Uh, and, uh, and how to give feedback. Uh, and again, this comes under this faculty development piece that uh, Jim has been uh, talking about. How to, write a, how to write a narrative on an evaluation as opposed to just having numbers. How to give uh, appropriate uh, and, and, and uh, instructive uh, feedback that's going to mean something to the trainee. <clears throat> These are all uh, things that don't cost any money but uh, are important for any kind of a real, meaningful medical education. Another, another thing that uh, doesn't cost much is just having an in-service exam. You can pull questions off of uh, any number of uh, sources uh, to, uh, to examine where that trainee stands in their, uh, in their ability to, to, uh, to learn. And as I said, the faculty development piece. I think the, another thing that is very practical that uh, students and residents today who are involved in, in a, a medical school or a large uh, university uh, uh, medical center uh, situation, many medical schools have a global initiative. Uh, within the last 10 years or so, there are, uh, there are deans and associate deans of, of global initiatives of, of various uh, uh, stripes and, and colors and, and various levels of, of maturity. But uh, those becoming involved with some of those global initiatives, the medical students and the residents, can actually 
uh, go over and, and do medical mission work uh, and get credit for it uh, as part of their training and uh, medical school and, and their residency. So there are a lot of different opportunities, I think, for, uh, for, uh, innovative, for innovations to educate. And we are, we are born educators. Think about it. Think of all the collective number of years of education that sit in this room alone. You know, there's probably two or 3,000. I know Jim and I count for four or 500 of those years. <laughs> so <clears throat> think about yourself as an educator, and wherever you go, think uh, how you can really uh, stimulate and leave uh, some information and enthusiasm and a, a love for learning that you have because of where you are and the continuing uh, medical education that you will continue to submit yourself to for that uh, ongoing learning the rest of your life from a professional standpoint. Jerry, thank you very much. Thank you, David. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, Dr. Bruce Steffes will talk about uh, some further about residencies, uh, that some that are already established and uh, opportunities. Thank you, Sherry. One of the things I think is important, you've heard a, a great deal about the possibility of doing a short-term faculty development as part of a, a short-term approach to it. Realize that there is, of course, a long-term approach to that, but it is a tent-making approach as a general rule. It's literally going in to a country and being involved, embedded in the systems that they have. Now, obviously, with that, there's the fact that it's not going to be your program. It's going to be their program, and you're influencing it. But do realize that that's a significant portion. And we don't uh, usually call that missionary because it doesn't quite fit under any paradigm for any agency. And it doesn't really uh, – you certainly in many of those countries will not be allowed to call yourself a missionary. That will get you a quick uh, exit uh, from the country. Uh, but do realize that there's a tremendous influence and, and an effect. And we talk about global health and our impact, but this is actually one of the greatest ways to do that uh, is to become embedded within the systems uh, rather than to uh, have the idea that we're going to go and create a Christian a residency in the countries. It just often won't work in those environments. Uh, with that scenario said, I think uh, Jim's point that you need to work with the missionaries that are on the ground or the people that you know uh, there for long term so that you're not just a lone cowboy uh, trying to do something is a very important concept. There is no doubt that uh, with medical missions we can get into any country in the world uh, as long as we minimize the mission aspect of it and, and let uh, Christ speak through us through our presence there. I want to talk a little bit about the various kinds of residencies that are out there, and, and I know that there are many uh, attempts going on, and what I don't want to do is offend anybody by forgetting theirs. So uh, during the Q&A area, please stand up and say, well, we've started one in such and such, and then we'll all know about it and applaud. Um, the Pan-African Academy of Christian Surgeons is a surgical group. It uh, works in Africa. Quite frankly, I'm not sure it would work anywhere else. Uh, I think it's God's time, God's place, God's uh, hand going before us. We have uh, general surgical trainees that are there, and we've just started orthopedic training and pediatric surgical training programs. But we would like to do some others, OBGYN being on the, on the crux. Our biggest uh, problem that we have, frankly, are people that won't answer God's call in their life. Um, we can, I can put together, you, you can, yeah. <laughs> we need um, six general surgeons tomorrow. Uh, we need several orthopedic surgeons tomorrow. We need several gynecologic surgeons tomorrow, and so um, we're being really limited by God's people not answering God's call. Uh, money, I don't worry about. Uh, it turns out that Jehovah Jireh stuff, turns out he means that. Uh, he, he's, he's capable of selling another cow to make the thing work. Uh, it's not a problem. But what he won't do, being a gentleman and all, is force you to answer his call in his life. So uh, PAX is an exciting thing right now. We're going to be, as of July, up to... Um, 75 residents that we're training makes us bigger than any general surgical training program in the United States that I know of, uh, and our budget is somewhat less. Uh, but uh, God's uh, capable of, of doing that, and we're excited about what's happening. And one of the things that we like about the fact that it is, quote, our program is that we take the discipling part very seriously. It's a five-year discipling. Uh, Jesus was a lot better than us. He did it in three years. We're trying to do it in five. Um, But uh, it's amazing to see what God is able to do in the hearts and and minds of these young men and women. 
Uh, there are some similar uh, programs uh, out there that you need to know about. Uh, in His Image has some excellent uh, family practice uh, programs. And one of the things that you get into this when you start talking about how you're going to accept a residency is what are you actually trying to accomplish? Are you trying to accomplish just Christian training? Are you trying to, to uh, involve yourself into other? Are you going to compare? And, so, and, and there's no right or wrong. I mean, it's, there's nothing except a couple of verses in Second Condominiums that would suggest how you should do this. There's nothing that uh, really tells you what's right or wrong. It's what's working for you and what God has put on your on your life. And so In His Image has uh, a range of people. They have a, a couple that are deeply embedded in uh, uh, Islamic countries, of which we won't even name. Uh, we have uh, one that's uh, in their group that's in Afghanistan, and they've lost their expatriate uh, component to it. It's uh, being carried on by the uh, Afghanis uh, themselves. Uh, we have some in China. They have some in China. Uh, and they have a, a truly Christian one. So they, they're kind of doing the whole scope of their So in family practice, that's an interesting uh, combination. In Kenya, the Infomed system uh, was originally set up uh, with the government under the government regulations. And one of the problems with getting in bed with an elephant is if they roll over, you're in trouble. And uh, that's literally what's happening. So now they're uh, starting to restart the programs in uh, several of the mission hospitals with Kabarak University, a Christian university in Kenya. So that's coming and going still shaky as to how, how it's going to actually all work out, but uh, that's a possibility to look into if you're interested in that. Um, Dennis Palmer at uh, Imbingo Baptist in Cameroon has a, a freestanding internal medicine uh, training program, uh, and so there's a possibility there as well. One of the things that I think PACS did well, and, and actually some of the ideas that you had lead to this, um, for everybody to reinvent the wheel is a little stupid. Uh, we don't have enough time to do all that. And so, you know, one of the things that I would really love to see is for nursing to put together an entire curriculum and exam process. And so they just, you know, carry it across to the countries that if we, uh, rather than each one of these medical schools trying to reinvent the wheel, uh, have a, a Christian-based curriculum for these places to go, uh, like to have basic science, you know, we can have uh, with video and so forth. Yes, we can't, we don't have the bandwidth to get it there. But we still have old-fashioned USBs and DVDs and stuff. With, uh, but we can have these lectures and a standard thing. At least you could call upon it. So I think there's a real role. And for a lot of you that uh, don't feel that God is calling you overseas, that doesn't mean that you don't have a lot of time that you can put into something like that here. And so uh, bring that up. I, I've been pushing that string. Somebody's going to have to grab the string and pull it. I, I, I can't do it. But um, I think it's an interesting point. And then always remember that there is this uh, whole uh, tent-making uh, scenario of embedding yourself. Uh, for example, the group uh, with Hope University in Burundi are kind of embedded into that Christian university trying to work with, uh, with that group there. Uh, they haven't started residency there, but are working on medical schools. Uh, nursing, uh, again, same thing. A lot of uh, the best medical schools, or excuse me, um, uh, mission hospitals are associated with the nursing because you have some quality nursing. And so, again, uh, there's several places out there that you can look into for, for nursing that you need to be involved. PAs, there's at least one training program in Liberia for PAs uh, that needs to be involved. And, again, that's something I think um, with the role of clinical officers, which is the African term for PAs, um, I think there's a role for, again, a universal group of people working together to minimize the, the work. Uh, for example, within PACS, if I, if I start a new specialty in urology tomorrow, I'm going to need 16 to 20 people to actually oversee that whole program to make sure that the curriculum and the um, question writing and the, you know, sort of stuff. And so a group of people here in the States, you can, have, you can multiply your influence significantly with that as well. Uh, so there are nursing programs. Uh, anesthesia, nurse anesthetic, anesthetic uh, training is at the Kajabi <laughs> Hospital. Uh, again, there are only, unfortunately, two Christian anesthesiologists that I know of on the mission field, you know, and one's not there yet. So uh, the point is, is that there's a lot of uh, specialists, uh, specialties that there's a role for uh, in these places, especially as we get into more and more training. So the kind of thing that, you know, we had this idea that you had to have a black bag and be a, a Livingston and, you know, walk around. And that's, that's less and less true. Now, admittedly, if you specialize in the right ear, there's going to be a minimal number of hospitals that are going to be able to use you, admitted, in, a, in that sort of scenario. But uh, I think God is giving you your specialties and your gifts because he wishes you to enjoy them and he wishes to use them. And uh, there's an opportunity. And now, uh, frankly, also, as God calls you, it may well be that he is asking you to take your specialties, your passions, your interests, and lay them on the altar as a gift of sacrifice to do something else. So, God bless you, and may God speak to your heart. And we'll sign, we'll sign you up afterwards. Okay? <laughs>
Chris. Uh, one other thing uh, I think we want to communicate is uh, what we one of the goals I think of all these organizations is not to just go train uh, people, but to train people to train people. You know that was Jesus' model. So we want to also develop their ability to teach, and you heard a little bit about that. Uh, Long term, uh, besides the opportunities that you've heard about in residencies and Christian hospitals, uh, there are places in the world you can go and teach in English long term. Like the Middle East teaches medicine in English. Uh, You know, you could go to uh, places like Jordan, United Arab Emirates, get paid by them, a very nice salary actually. Um, Give part of that to support other people, develop people. Uh, teach them to be teachers, a uh, great opportunity like that. Some countries are also developing English tracks for medical schools, even though that's not the language of their country. And as uh, Jim mentioned, uh, they're mainly doing it for profit, but it can be an opportunity for uh, you to teach a wide range of people from a wide range of countries and impact them, either long or short term. Uh, countries like China, some in Central Asia like Kazakhstan, the Ukraine have English-speaking tracks. There are also opportunities uh, short-term. Uh, there's a group we partner with in the Ukraine that started a conference, sort of like a CMDA conference for young professionals of all healthcare fields. About six years ago, it was a very small conference. About half the people were the faculty. But the students got excited, and they said, we're going to go back and, and start this at our school. And me of little faith, you know, I said, oh, yeah, sure. You know, when they get back, they're going to go back to studying. But they did. And to make a long story short, this conference is taught in English, and it, it's growing by geometric progression. Two years ago, over 200 students came with 15% Muslims. Uh, last year, over 300, and this year, over 500. So you can have a huge impact uh, on students from many different countries, some of whom don't know the Lord yet, but come because of the medical training, but may come up and talk to you. The first person who talked to me this year at the conference was a young guy from Saudi Arabia, which I don't usually have male Saudis talking to me. And then I sat down and started talking to the young woman next to me, who was from Iran, So you never know. Uh, I have a real heart for Muslims, so maybe the Lord put me with the Muslims for that reason. But there are opportunities to do that, and we uh, can take quite a few faculty. We also have uh, partnerships in places like uh, Russia. We have a new partnership with a group that does continuing medical education for all the doctors in Moscow Oblast, which is like the county outside the city. And they have 22,000 physicians we're getting continuing uh, education, and uh, we're working with a number of groups that are helping them go from having to come in residence for lectures three months out of five years to more like our model of hours here and there over the five-year period. And uh, there are some really good opportunities in medical ethics uh, there and elsewhere. I was able to talk about uh, ethics at the end of life because they had a palliative care aspect and because it's a uh, supposedly orthodox country, although not everybody believes you can uh, bring that in, you know, that death is not the end for everyone. And there are a number of places you can teach medical ethics, both with us and with the Center for Bioethics at Trinity University. They've helped India uh, train five people to the master's level who will now be setting up a, an ethics center for, uh, for uh, India There's a new effort beginning for China. If you speak Mandarin, we can really use you on many, many teams. Uh, There are opportunities to teach things like advanced life support, uh, which, you know, a lot of you may do that. Even if you're not academics, you can teach on those. Uh, There's a group called Prime in the U.K., Partners in International Medical Education, uh, that has excellent courses in whole person medicine with practical demonstrations and in palliative care. You can become a prime tutor and do that kind of thing. They get invited all over the world. Even non-Muslim countries have asked them to come. And Muslims agree on a lot of basic principles that we believe in. I think they're probably more pro-life in some ways than many Americans are. So we can really have some good touch points. There are also some new opportunities. I think you all know that things are more open with Cuba now. Uh, MEI will be going twice a year starting this week to Cuba. 
there also is a country in North Asia, probably you'd think of it as the least likely place you could go in the world, but uh, they're developing a uh, dental school, a public health school, and some physician residencies for which they're going to want invited teachers. And uh, the undergraduate school there uh, is all staffed by Christians, and they know that. They're not allowed to proselytize, but if anybody asks them questions, they can answer it. So they have great opportunities with some of the leaders coming up in that country, and I suspect the same will be true. So there's almost unlimited opportunity to uh, use your education long or short term. Of course, long term can have a lot more impact, and you can be the one who brings in other groups. But uh, it's all what God calls you to. He may call you to... uh, you know, make money to help support missions here and go short-term, or he may call you to, you know, give up your practice here and move to the mission field. The main thing is just, I always tell people about uh, when they inquire about our trips that we'd love to have them, but only if God's calling them. So I hope during this conference you'll get a feel for what God's calling you to and just follow up on it. Uh, Let's just uh, pray for a second, and then uh, we'll have a short question and answer time until 20 after. Lord, I thank you for each person here uh, that somehow is interested enough in education to be here from many different backgrounds, specialties, professions. We just pray that uh, each one here will hear you speaking to them about whether they should uh, go, whether they should support financially, whether they should pray, whether they should do a combination of those. And we pray that you'll lead them to the opportunities that will fit their qualifications, whether it's... uh, very specific things like how to write multiple choice questions for an examination to uh, teaching clinically on the wards. And we uh, put them in your hands. We thank you for their presence. And uh, we ask your Holy Spirit to speak. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, what, what would you all like to ask questions about? Or, and who? Yes. Okay, opportunities for nurse practitioners. One would be to teach at nursing schools. Uh, you may know in most countries uh, the, the nurse, so-called nurse is more like a nurse assistant in America, so even an RN, depending on the country, may be uh, better qualified than any of the nurses there to teach. Uh, there are some countries that are developing master's programs in nursing, uh, and they need uh, usually the typical thing is you have to have a, the next degree higher to teach. So if you have a Ph.D. in nursing, uh, you can teach the, in the master's program, which is largely being done by distance learning for a lot of countries. If you have a master's, you could teach at a nursing school that uh, provides uh, bachelor's level degrees. Uh, can you think of some A couple of uh, caveats with that. Um, at least in Africa, most of the countries restrict nurses coming in much far more than they do physicians because they have their own schools and they don't want them to be threatened. But you can come in and teach without having to have a license in the country. So the teaching aspect is very, very uh, important. The other thing I was going to mention on the long-term aspect of the residencies, I didn't want to underestimate the importance of short-termers coming to those residencies as well because, of course, whoever's there doesn't mean they have specialty knowledge in cardiology or nephrology or uh, urology or whatever. And so for like with PACS, we've had actually had 1,180 uh, visits uh, to our hospitals in the last uh, uh, 17 years. So without those, we would be stranded because we're general surgeons by the American model, and we're trying to teach general surgery by their model, which is skin and its contents. And so uh, we need people to come alongside. And so anesthesia, uh, pathology, uh, gastroenterology for us, for example, uh, for any of the family practice programs, literally any, any one of the medical specialties would be valuable. Any, anything else on nurses for you? Well, I just, uh, Bruce, I don't know if you want to comment on what Becky Thompson is trying to do in Egypt. She's well, she's starting a nursing school, yeah. There, several of the places, the nursing schools need more faculty without a doubt. Yeah. I think a lot of mission hospitals have nursing programs trying to train nurses for their own hospital that they can use people. Yes, and we also have a good relationship with the National University in Mongolia Nursing School, but we've had very few nurse educators who could go along. Yes. Oh, who was that? That lady right there. Oh, sorry. I just wanted to uh, add to this gentleman's uh, comment. I'm a PA, 
And I work in very resource-poor settings where there's no schools. I work in South Sudan. And as a PA, I've trained over 100 community health care workers. And I think that is one of the least, uh, uh, well, what they consider least known, important, most important jobs we can be doing because there are no schools. War has broken up the system, and they're relying on traditional birth attendants, on community health workers. And if we're not in there making them the best NPs or PAs that they can be because we don't have MDs, we don't have medical schools except at Juba, which is broken because of the war, then um, I just really believe that we're missing out. I think what you guys are doing is great, but I think we cannot forget that until these, some of these countries that have suffered from years of war, until we can raise up the ones that are there now, what you're doing is fantastic, but until then we need to have the intermediary, and I'm more than blessed to be raising community health care workers, TBAs and the sorts. Um, in my job. Yeah, I think I should have mentioned that. If you're at Steve Mary's talk on uh, something like best practices from first world medicine in resource poor countries or something like that, uh, public health type interventions and medical education uh, about smoking, about alcohol, things like that, have more impact than clinical medicine in many situations. There's an organization that provides training for this. Uh, they their training is called CHE. It stands for Christian um, Community Health Education in some countries or Community Health uh, Evangelism in more open countries. And it, it has not only medical uh, curriculum, but it, in their curriculum they have other things like uh, improving protein by starting fish ponds or something like that. They have uh, character or... Uh, Christian principles as part of it. And it's very effective because what they do is they go into villages or places and they ask the leaders there, what are your top priorities? What do you want uh, done to help your people? And then uh, they're asked, well, if you'd like this, would you appoint somebody to be your representative and your educator? And, and then they come to training centrally. And when they go back, they have the authority of the chief or whoever the leaders are. And it also allows the uh, people doing the training to go into places that they often wouldn't get to go. So that's a great program. We didn't cover it here. There is at least one talk on it. Medical Ambassadors International has traditionally done it. I think they've gone back to that name, haven't they? For a lot while they were called Life yeah. Wind, but yeah. I think they're still called Medical Ambassadors. Yes, you had a question. Yeah, well, I have a really great opportunity in Tanzania um, for nursing educators, um, we're going to—we're putting a team in a nursing school, um, and we're going to love on the nurses. We're going to train them in community health evangelism, and um, we're going to help them have a vision for the community. There's about 20% um, of healthcare providers that are necessary in Tanzania that they have. They're trying to increase that. There's less than 50% of the nurses that they need, and they. Every place that we've gone, I've been in Tanzania since 2006, and every um, hospital or nursing program that I've gone to to talk about um, some of the issues, they have essentially begged us to come and supplement their nursing education, their nursing staff. So we are going to go love on the nurses, train them, uh, mentor them, and then uh, <coughs> give them a vision for the community. They get sent out by the government. Um, to the rural areas, and they're basically given the responsibility of health care for the community. So um, if you want to go to Tanzania, I have a team for you. This is uh, Reach Global, which is the mission arm of the Evangelical Free Church of America. Yeah. Yes. Are there residence uh, opportunities for pharmacists? For pharmacists. Uh, there's certainly teaching opportunities. I don't know. Do you know of any residency? There's basic science teaching at medical schools for sure. There's certainly, a, there's certainly room for pharmacists in a lot of mission hospitals because it's a big uh, area for the hospitals. Yeah, long-term. Was that Tanzania long-term or short-term? Um, well, long-term initially, I need a base team, and then short-term people can come. Okay. Let's see. I'll get some on this side. Okay. Um, what, are the, what are the biggest opportunities you see for dentistry? And, and what's, uh, what's, 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 I guess, what's currently, what do you see currently being done? Uh, and is it in the uh, hosp more hospital settings or more rural or combination? Anybody want to handle that? 
in Africa, I know of only one missionary dentist. Yep. Uh, and he's in at uh, Malago, uh, at, in Kampala. Uh, but in terms of all the other places, they're all doing dentistry in their mission hospitals, all doing it poorly, and much of it needs to be done out in the community. And so there's a there's a need for a grassroots dentistry component that's that's huge. We're also expecting an invitation from Moldova to send a dental team. We've had a really hard time getting dentists to go on short-term trips when we we have opportunities. And what, if if you're interested in serving short-term with MEI, what we'd like people to do is uh, get in our database, which is a one-page application in your CV, and then when we need your field, we contact people in that field to see if they're available. So uh, I think there are a lot of opportunities. We haven't, like Mongolia has a dental school. Uh, when we first started going there almost 20 years ago, there were no known Christians, especially in the medical world. Now they have their own Christian Medical Association, and one of the leaders in the dental school, one of the deans, is a believer, and we try to support him by bringing in uh, academic dentists, but we've had very few who could go. Uh, yeah, we've got 10 minutes. Let's see. I think you had your hand up. Training other physical therapists without feeling like you're stepping over their toes. Good question. Any you want to deal with that? Or? Carefully and gracefully. <laughs> <laughs> are you are you talking about uh, are you talking about going like to a hospital where there are physical therapists? Yeah, okay. So my experience has been that you're, you're right. It is a little bit difficult, but what you have to do is you have to go in and ask a lot of questions and uh, get, you know, what they want to find out from you. Uh, and one of the, and we've had some people who have done physical therapy. Uh, again, part of the problem with physical therapists here in the U.S., usually you're so specialized, like I, I had a need for a... Uh, physical therapist to go to uh, Kosovo several years ago, and uh, her interest was more in stroke rehabilitation, but that wasn't what they wanted. And so uh, you do need to find out what their needs are, what they want, but there certainly are opportunities, and upgrading physical therapy skills is is a big need. We also have a regular team uh, to a community-level hospital in China where you can plug in with the physical therapist there. If you're talking about just the average hospital, one of the things that's important to realize is that it's a relationship phenomena. And you, your first time isn't going to do anything. Your second time is not going to do anything. By the third time, they're going to start taking you seriously. And you actually, so the answer is if God's calling you, don't do the merit badge approach that I've got my – I showed up at this hospital. Um, you have to invest your time. And then it will become evident as it, it goes. And, and they'll believe you because now they know that you mean something to them and vice versa. To, to piggyback on what uh, Bruce just said, uh, it's, it's, this is all about relationships. You know, you've heard a lot of us talk about, well, you can't proselytize, you can teach, but you can't, you know, you're limited. You're really not limited on an individual basis at all. Right. You are going to go over there and you're going to be able to establish a relationship with one or two or three people in the, a short-term situation, obviously more in a long-term situation. But in each of those situations, you are going to be establishing a relationship with those people that you come in contact with, and you're going to have coffee with them. You're going to eat meals with them. You're going to go to their homes. You're going to get to know their families. And that is where you really have an opportunity to share Christ, to share the Word, to talk about you, and more importantly, to talk about them and where they are from a spiritual standpoint, because that's really what this is all about. That's the, that is the other sort of hidden agenda, if you will, but it's just as high profile in our minds and should always be uh, in addition to, obviously, the other skill set that the Lord has blessed us with that we can share with others. Jim? I, just one other comment. Uh, I had a team in Kenya a few years ago, and one of the members asked our Kenya host what he thought about short-term teams. And he said short-term teams to be successful need three things. One is to teach, transfer of skills, and repeat trips. Amen. And I think that really is important, that repeat. Uh, 
uh, Tim Keller's book, The Prodigal God, uh, makes a point that, you know, in that the, the term prodigal literally means that you're a spendthrift, not that you go off and hang out with bars and stuff. You know? uh, but the point is, is that God may be very willing to spend three of your visits and your money to bring someone to Christ. And so, again, to realize that we have to realize that in a lot of these things, we, we go away frustrated because we want some magic answer. The reality is that God is seeing it from his perspective, and he's allowing you to be one of his advocates, one of the ambassadors of the Lord God Almighty. Again, one other thing, it's kind of a pet peeve with me how we count conversions and that kind of thing, because that is the Holy Spirit. And uh, I think we have to realize whether we're here or abroad, we may just be a piece on the road to someone's salvation, and uh, we need to just be where God wants us, share as he allows, and leave the results to him. But you, you almost always get opportunities. And in MEI, for example, we do encourage people to keep going to the same country, and it's amazing after the first trip or so. The first trip, they're wondering, are you coming to go on safari? Or, you know, you just want to go to a new country. But if you come back, they're like, came back. You must really care about us. Huh? Yeah. Yeah, I just wanted to give a small plug for uh, the Allied Health Professionals. I know we have a PT here. We're having an Allied Health Professionals lunch at 12 o'clock. So just bring your lunch from what you're getting from your meal ticket. We're going to meet in the Worship Center 245. But it's open to all Allied Health uh, fields. I'm a speech pathologist and spent the past year at Timwick Hospital in Kenya. And this is my wife, Amy. She's a pediatrician. Uh, but we are uh, planning to go back overseas in a couple of years. I'm a PhD student and looking to do medical education in speech-language pathology in Ethiopia and actually doing my dissertation research at a university in Ethiopia. So. Yeah, and if any of you are therapists, uh, there's a great need for you. Yeah. Uh, somebody back there. talk about whether, where they can use uh, subs, the questions about subspecialists, particularly pulmonary critical care. We have, with MEI, there's currently a project, uh, we're actually working with a government in the Balkans where they're uh, asking us to send 100 doctors a year to provide training in every field, so you certainly could go there. Uh, research is greatly needed if you were in Steve Mary's talk. Uh, you, a lot of times you could go and do research uh, at and with a mission hospital. They don't usually have time to do that. Some of them would love to do that. Some have compiled statistics, but there's nobody to do it. So those are our possibilities. Long term, do you know long term? Also, some of these new Christian medical schools are interested in people who do research. Yeah, sometimes we're asked to teach how do you do a paper, how do you do research. Uh, they don't know about human use regulations or animal use, so that there can be that too. Uh, this is exactly what I was saying earlier. The more specialized you get, the less likely there is to be a traditional mission setting that you're going to function. I, I only know of two mission hospitals in all of Africa that actually have a ventilator that I could trust might work, and that's only in certain hours when certain people are on. Right. So... Um, now, all of these places are expanding, and, you know, what is the future of these hospitals? I don't really know. Uh, none of them had CAT scans three years ago. Three or about eight do now. You know, and so uh, I don't know where the, where the future is, but I think uh, it's a little unrealistic that you, you know, if, you're, if your thought is that you're going to follow the Bedouin around and give critical, that isn't going to happen, you know. So uh, you're going to have to figure out something that's going to work for you. But, but the Macedonian experience, where they really do need specialists and subspecialists that uh, Sherry mentioned, that's an excellent opportunity for uh, any, any sub, even a super subspecialist to uh, participate in. And that, that's a relational, uh, relationally rich opportunity as well. Yeah, God is really at work through that. Uh, Bible studies have started. People in the Ministry of Health come to faith. Uh, medical students. Uh, Jesus? Did you have
it's uh, in Ethiopia. Uh, one more. Good question. Now, how can you find these? There's a, a place on the web called medicalmissionseducation.com. Isn't that right? I think that's it. And it has links to a lot of groups doing this. Um, if you have a particular need, feel free to come and ask us, and we can try to refer you to an organization. You heard of some of the organizations. Uh, PACS and MEI are on the CMDA website. Uh, there's also uh, continuing medical dental education, which we provide for missionary doctors. So that's all on CMDA. There's Medical Teams International. They have their own website. Myung uh, uh, Sung has its own hospital website. Uh, there, there are a number of different ones. If you want to teach in uh, English in other countries, you might just Google uh, teach medicine in English or something. And, you know, there are a number of places for that. The other good thing is to just network, you know, and I, you know, talking to somebody like Sherry or myself, a lot of times people will contact me and I know of opportunities that I can refer them to. Yeah, you can, uh, my email is very simple, it's mei.director at cmda.org. Yeah, we have to close, uh, feel free to go and get ready for your next talk, uh, you can come up. Uh, if you, I'm sorry we didn't get to everyone's question, but feel free to come up. And what's the PAX website? PAX.net. PAX.net for PAX.